Welcome everyone to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to us today. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm sick with a head cold. Yeah. So that's great, but the show must go on, as they say. (laughs) Hopefully your voice will hold out for the whole show. If not, that's what... Water and tea are for. Sure. And uh, I'll try to take on uh, the brunt of the talking, which, as we know, never happens. <laughs> It'll be a rare occurrence. Yes. Possibly making this a bit of a treat for the listeners. That's right. In other news, we have a new fish. His That's name true. is Jonesy. Uh, if you want to see what he looks like, you can check out my Twitter at Stegosaurus. His colors are the trans pride flag, and it's wonderful. (laughs) Well, what are we watching today, Ben? Today, Sarah, we are watching The Ape Man from 1943. And this this stars Boris Karloff as a mad scientist? No, this stars Bela Lugosi as a mad scientist. Oh, okay. What year was The Ape with Karloff? Uh, I want to say 40. 1939 or 1940. Okay. Uh, I think it was sort of during his string of mad scientist movies for Columbia. So 1940 feels about right. And I believe The Ape was at PRC. It was definitely Poverty Row. I don't think it was Columbia. No, it was not. Because the title wasn't The Man Who Wore an Ape Suit or something like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it might have been Monogram, but I'm pretty sure it was PRC. This film is Monogram. It's uh, the sixth of Bela Lugosi's Monogram 9 that he made with Sam Katzman following Bowery at Midnight. And for more information on Bela Lugosi and Monogram and Sam Katzman, you can listen to many of our previous episodes. Bowery at Midnight didn't even make the list, did it? That's right. Yeah, we decided that it was sort of a crime film with a horror element tacked on, and the horror element was much too tacked on. Mm-hmm. The script for The Ape Man is written by Barney Sarecki, who would later go on to be a producer on the 1950s Adventures of Superman television show. And it's based on a story by Carl Brown, who co-wrote Before I Hang, Man with Nine Lives, and Man They Could Not Hang for Columbia. So someone who's fairly familiar with Karloff's work then. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The film's director is William Bodine, infamously known as One-Shot Bodine, one of Hollywood's all-time most prolific directors, with 372 directing credits from 1915 to 1976. And how many horror has he done, like, in that whole time period? Um, well, this is the first William Bodine movie we're seeing, and I think we're going to see a few more before the 40s are over, and I think he has a couple in in the 1960s. But really, William Bodine did a little bit of everything, which is how you get 372 directing credits over a 60-year period. Born in 1892 in New York, Bodine got his start in the film industry as an assistant to D.W. Griffith, uh, working on films such as Birth of a Nation and Intolerance. He directed silent films for Goldwyn and Metro before they merged, 
Uh, he also directed silent feature films for First National and Warner Brothers and Fox Films and Paramount and Universal. Uh, these were large-budget A pictures. He was an experienced director, and in the 1930s, he was sent to England to work on productions for the British arms of various Hollywood studios that were being produced uh, to meet the British content quotas. He made several very well-respected British films and returned to Hollywood in 1937. Okay, I feel like this is where in the story something goes horribly wrong, because how is someone who is directing, like, A pictures working with D.W. Griffith, being sent to the U.K., now directing a monogram picture. Unfortunately, he found that once he had returned to Hollywood, um, he had difficulty reestablishing his career there. Uh, he had been away long enough that he could no longer command the high salaries that he had gotten before or get the kind of prestige projects that he was used to working on. Basically, it was just, you know, the case of being out of the town long enough that everyone kind of just forgot who he was, basically. Uh, when his bank failed, uh, he lost a large amount of his savings, and much of his income from his British period was claimed in UK taxes. Uh, so he found himself near penniless and desperate for work. The idea of banks crashing terrifies me, by the way. But that's a different horror story. <laughs> In 1940, he was offered $500 to direct a Poverty Row picture in one week. Uh, he knew that if he took this job, he would only be able to get Poverty Row jobs from that point on because he would now be, like, associated with lower-budget films and he would basically never be able to achieve the kind of prestige he once had. But he was in such bad financial straits that he had very little choice. He started working for PRC and abandoned his artistic ambitions in favor of recouping his financial losses through sheer volume of work. He knew that what he was working on was just programming filler and once said, these films are going to be made regardless of who directs them. There's a market for them and I think I can make them as good or better than anyone else. He became known for bringing in B-movies under schedule and under budget, resourceful and no-nonsense, he directed films in an average of five days. Wow. Because, you know, the faster basically he could pump them out, the more money he could earn. He earned the unflattering nickname One Shot because he supposedly never shot second takes, uh, though this isn't entirely true. Um, I mean, like, if you have the talent, you can shoot something in one take. Yeah, he was, he was like a very professional guy. So, you know, but the fact that he shot these films so quickly got him this reputation. Yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of time last episode kind of ragging on Ed Wood, but it's a different kind of one take thing that Ed Wood would do versus Bodine. Mm. He became a major director for Monogram Pictures. He shot half of the 48 films in the Bowery Boys series. And his efficiency was so well-known that in the 1950s, Walt Disney put him in charge of directing his various television projects. Television became Bodine's uh, usual home through the 60s and 70s. Uh, he directed multiple episodes of the Green Hornet television series. And by the time of his death, he was the film and television industry's oldest working professional, having started in 1909. Wow. So what's sort of important to know about films from this period of Bodine's career is he did not care. This was about pumping out work as quickly as possible and kind of having an attitude of like, like, yes, you're a professional about it, but like, 
no one's going to see these movies more than once. And the people who are going to see them, they're not going to really care about them. And the people who are, you know, selling them aren't really caring about them. So just get it made and get it done and move on to the next one. Yeah, like, I think it's a good idea to kind of put a caveat to he didn't care because there's different kinds of just not caring, right? right? Like, he's not putting any of his artistic ambitions or creative spin on these films, I'm presuming, but he does care about, like, he's still a professional. Yes. You know, so he does care, like, are we getting the correct shots that we need to get? Like, are we doing the storytelling in the best way possible? Yeah, it's, it's, his concern was being done on time and, you know, under schedule and under budget. And that is a different kind of caring than wanting to make, you know, the most perfect film you can, basically. Yeah. Lugosi's co-stars in The Ape Man were Louise Curry and Wallace Ford. Curry was a Washington, D.C. socialite who attended Max Reinhardt's School of Acting. Her agent was Sue Carroll, the wife of actor Alan Ladd, and she regularly worked for Columbia Pictures and Monogram. In 1941, she was the female lead in Republic's The Adventures of Captain Marvel serial. Wallace Ford is a returning face for us. We've previously seen the experienced vaudevillian in Freaks, Night of Terror, The Mummy's Hand, and The Mummy's Tomb. Uh, And you can find out more information about him by listening to our episode on Freaks. He played the clown in Freaks, right? Yeah, he was um, Babe in the Mummy movies. Right, yeah. So The Ape Man was released on March 5th, 1943, and the LA Times said that horror fans would get a thrill out of the picture while everyone else would have fun laughing at how absurd it was. That does bode well, though. That's interesting. Because, like, I can't help but kind of compare it a little bit to Karloff's The Ape, which is not a horror movie. Overwhelmingly was not a good movie at all. So... We're horror fans. Maybe this will thrill us. (laughs) If memory serves, the past Monogram 9 pictures have been public domain. Is that the case for this one? Yes. This is a public domain feature. Uh, We are watching it on YouTube using the Scream Scene YouTube playlist. Okay, cool. Folks, if you would like to watch along, you can find that playlist at our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss The Ape Man from 1943, directed by William Bodine. See you on the other side, everybody. everyone to Scream Scene. We just finished watching The Ape Man from 1943, directed by William Bodine. How you holding up, Sarah? I'm doing just fine. Yeah? And this movie was also just fine. Just fine. It exists and is horror. It's not a not horror situation, but that's about all I can say about it, I guess. Yeah, it's very um, mediocre. Yeah. Uh, sort of a collection of 
familiar tropes and elements we've seen like a dozen times over uh, with not much in the way of like a newer interesting spin on it. Yeah, like they're not even smooshing these things together in an interesting way. No. You know, they're they're smooshing stuff together. In the same way that we've seen them smoosh together before. Yeah. So the plot of the movie begins with the disappearance of Dr. James Brewster, played by Bela Lugosi. And I know that, like, you know, we've been doing this long enough that just ignoring the fact that Bela Lugosi has a Hungarian accent has, like, become a thing. But, like, I don't understand why they give his characters names, like, James Brewster. Like, like names that are just, like, England Englishmen. Like, anyways. <laughs> so... Wouldn't that be, like, Scotsman Brewster? Sure, yeah. So he has a sister, Agatha Brewster. Does not have an accent. No. She's been away in a trip to Europe to, like, see the various haunted castles of Europe because she's a ghost hunter. Um, She's also, like, around Lugosi's age, right? And Lugosi's, like, 60 at this point. Um, I do question the safety of going ghost hunting around the castles of Europe in 1943, but you do you. So she's recently returned to America to find that her brother has been reported missing by his good friend, Dr. George Randall. And she meets up with Randall and discovers that actually her brother isn't missing at all. Uh, It's a cover-up because Brewster uh, had been doing experiments with glands, and he, for reasons that are never given injected himself with ape glands, I guess, and for reasons that are unclear, this has turned him into an ape man, which in this film manifests as Bela Lugosi having a Abe Lincoln beard, basically. More bushy. Yeah, and... Um, big, big sideburns. Yeah, and sort of walking around hunched over with his arms hanging low, And that's about it. There's no, like, actual makeup. It's all wig, basically, doing the job here. And physical acting, which Lugosi's trying to do. Yeah, is this the worst part that Lugosi's had that we've seen? Like, is this the worst role he's had? How do you compare this to that butler? Oh, sure, yeah. I guess at least this is a lead role. Yeah. So, um, for... Whatever reason, this is how Brewster has ended up as an ape man. And the important part is that he can't turn himself back. Which, you know, probably should have figured that out first. But, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty. Eventually, it's he sort of theorizes that if he can inject himself with human spinal fluid, that might do the trick. And Sarah and I like kind of looked at each other because... In the Boris Karloff movie, The Ape, human spinal fluid was also a major plot point. Anyways, Lugosi still has the ape that he used to, like, uh, in the experiment to turn him into an ape man. He's got this ape, like, in a cage downstairs, which was a little bit confusing to me because they, you know, specifically talk about, like, taking the spinal fluid out of humans to cure Lugosi uh, will kill them. But he was able to get whatever he got from the ape to make him into an ape man without killing that ape. Anyways, Lugosi, <laughs> now that he has, like, ape biology fused with him, um, can speak ape. So he's able to, like, give the ape, like, specific instructions 
in order to have the ape like go out and kill people so that he can extract their spinal fluid and bring it back. Um, and, like, he does incorporate grunts and such in his regular speech, mm-hmm. which I thought was a neat touch. And at least, like, the ape language that he speaks, you know, I mean, it's basically just Lugosi grunting. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's more believable than in Murders in the Rue Morgue when the ape he had could speak Hungarian? Yeah. Anyways. No, the ape just understood Hungarian. Sure. It didn't speak it. That's fair. So, Dr. Randall um, doesn't want to have any part of murdering people for spinal fluid, but Lugosi does need him to at least perform the injections to inject the spinal fluid into Lugosi, because I don't know if you've ever tried injecting yourself with a needle in, in your back, but it's not easy. Well, also, like, not that this movie is very scientifically accurate, but injecting things into the spine is a very tricky thing. Yeah. So he he needs Randall to do the operations for him, uh, but Randall refuses because by this point, like, the cops are all on to this, the media is all on to this with all of these murders, and that it's like an ape going around doing it and everything, and he refuses, and this ticks Lugosi off and leads to Lugosi killing Randall. Now, while all this has been happening... Uh, we have have our protagonists, who are a reporter and photographer pair. Uh, the journalist is Jeff Carter, played by Wallace Ford, and his photographer is Billy Mason, played by Louise Curry. And there's an interesting bit in here that, like, she's his new photographer because his old photographer, who is a man, uh, has been sent off to World War II in the draft, So, as you can probably predict, their interactions are a lot of like, oh, I don't need no dame on this story with me, like, women shouldn't get involved in such things, and her, you know, sniping back at him, and and that kind of thing. It's all a very predictable um, sort of back and forth with them. They're able to sort of put the pieces together between the murders that have been going on and the disappearance of Dr. Brewster and, you know, his connection to Dr. Randall and everything partially through, like, observation and also partially due to this weird-looking guy who keeps going through the movie, like, telling people where they need to be at the right times. I'll get back to him. Now, when Brewster left to go kill Dr. Randall, uh, that was sort of the point where his sister kind of put her foot down and was like, no, I'm not, this is as far as I go on this ride. Up till now, Agatha's been very supportive of James's murdering of people for spinal fluid. So he kind of turns against her because a running um, element in the plot is that, like, he doesn't only look like an ape, but the longer he stays like this, the more animalistic he's becoming mm-hmm. and unable to, like, control his, like, murderous impulses. He goes over to Randall's place, kills Randall, and then heads back to uh, his own house with Randall's spinal fluid, presumably. Agatha goes out to warn Randall, but arrives too late. Uh, She arrives at the same time that the cops do, and they basically take her back to the Brewster place. Meanwhile, uh, our intrepid reporters have headed over the Brewster place to do some digging around, and that's, of course, when the ape and Dr. Brewster come back. They all confront each other in the mansion so that, you know... Brewster can walk, you know, have uh, Billy faint and he can take her down to the lab and threaten to uh, spinal fluid, you know, extract her and stuff. And uh, she manages to get away just enough to free 
the ape from the cage. And so they do the very predictable, like, mad scientist killed by his own minion thing. And they kind of do the work to set this up a little bit by showing Lugosi, like, whipping the ape when it gets out of hand. But also they've shown, like, Lugosi doing things like talk to the ape in ape language to, like, get the ape to do very specific tasks. So it just kind of feels a little out of nowhere that, like, the ape, like, just goes crazy and kills him at the end and not Billy. Um, but it does threaten her after uh, Lugosi's character is dead. But she manages to get into the waiting arms of Jeff and the police manage to shoot down the ape. And that's basically the end of the story. There is one more appearance by this weird dude who's been kind of like poking his head in and telling people where they ought to be during the story the whole movie. Um, and they finally ask him, like, hey, who are you? And he says, oh, I'm the author of this story. Screwy idea, wasn't it? And then he, like, drives off. And <laughs> that sure was an ending. Yeah. Strangest ending to date, I think. Yeah, it 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 feels like an attempt to... Top it off with a little bit of a joke. Or, like, lampshade anything in the story that seems like nonsense. Sure. Right? By saying, like, at the end of the movie, like, hey, we don't really take this seriously either, you know? That's fair, I guess. Um, I think even with this weird kind of character, I would just still definitely call this horror. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's five whole murders. Mm-hmm. There's two attempted murders. That puts it above other horror movies on the list, you know? I couldn't tell <laughs> if they were trying to do shadowy cinematography or if they just weren't lighting things well. Little from column A, little from column B. Right. Takes time to light things. Time we don't have. Exactly. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how we have these two different stories kind of smushed where we have, like, the ape man and a ghost lady. Yeah. Yeah, it ends up being kind of incidental that his sister is, like, a ghost hunter. It kind of gives her uh, an opportunity to, like, cover for the noises in the basement being caused by the ape at one point when the reporters are over to talk to her. But that's really all it is. And um, the actress really gets into it when she's describing spirits and how everyone's haunted and every house is haunted. It, uh, it, it was a nice detour. Yeah. Into a different genre a little bit. Minerva Uracle is her name. Uh, she plays Agatha. And she's probably a, the closest thing to a standout in the cast. Um, I don't think anyone in this cast is particularly bad. It's just that, like, there's not a lot here for anyone to do anything with anything. Uh, so when she gets her chance to kind of go into, like, oh, the ghosts and the spirits, like, she really takes the opportunity to really go for it. She kind of does the best she can with the very ludicrous material that yeah. she has to work with. I feel like that's everyone in this cast. I feel like that's a, even everyone in the crew. Yeah. She um, had previously appeared opposite Lugosi as Faga in The Corpse Vanishes, mm. um, which kind of has a similar thing of being on Lugosi's side and then kind of turning against him at the end. Yeah, not so directly, though. She no. doesn't try to murder her own brother here. No. Um, I thought you would like that... All of the people doing jobs, like the police or the journalists, are competent. Yes. Yeah. No one is... Awful at their job. Yeah. Except for maybe the guy who uh, gets replaced by Billy. Yes. Well... Because he was bad at taking photos, but that was it was implied that he was, like, 
he was about to be sent off for, for training. So yeah. he was, like, preoccupied with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Billy and Jeff are okay characters. They're just, like a lot of things in this movie, they are cliches that we've seen before, and there's nothing really new being added here. Mm-hmm. Like, they're fine. There's nothing particularly, like, bad or annoying about either of them. They're just not very interesting either. And I think that is kind of how the whole movie is. Like, I don't really think this movie is particularly bad. It doesn't have anything, like, super egregiously, like, weird or terrible about it. It's just that it's like, yeah, gorillas and mad scientists and turning people into ape people and killing people for their spinal fluid and... I love that that's, like, such a... We've seen that twice before. It's such a specific thing (laughs) of taking spinal fluid. Well, and it was also a thing in Before I Hang with Karloff where he injected himself with, like, a murderer's spinal fluid to save, like, his life or something, and then that turned him into a murderer. Yeah, I don't know what was in the air with spinal fluid in the 1940s, but it was sure a thing. Yeah. Hey, Ben. Mm. Why aren't you in the army? Uh, well, you see, uh, yeah, that was one thing that did feel different in this movie, I guess, compared to other films, is how frontline they put the fact that the war is happening. Yeah, I think every male character who is of army age, yeah, who would be in the draft, I guess is what I mean to say, um, they have a conversation about, like, why aren't you in the army? Oh, 30 days out from heading to boot camp. Okay. Yeah, like, Billy makes fun of Jeff when she first meets him because she assumes he's 4F, and he really takes, like, offense at that and explains, like, no, 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 it, my ship out date is, like, in a month. And she's even, like, only part of the story because his photographer's been drafted. There's a bit going on here in terms of, like, just... I, it doesn't really comment on it, but it brings into the plot the idea that women were coming into the workforce because they had to, to replace men who were going overseas, right? It's not that the movie really, like, has a social point to make about it, but it is... It's documenting it. It's documenting it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, What did you think of Lugosi's performance in this? Um, I found it strained. Yeah. I I honestly felt a little worried for his health. I felt like he he was trying to give it some effort, but it also, like, that effort wasn't resulting in anything. Like, it really, yeah, it was a, uh, a waste of Lugosi, but also you're, it's starting to become, like, very apparent, I think, how old he is and how inappropriate these roles are for him now. Well, this one was a little appropriate, like, it, considering the age of his character, but the physicality of yes. the role was odd. That's what I mean. It was okay. It's too physical a role for him. And, you know, I, I look at these movies and I think about how, like, what Lugosi really wanted to be was, like, a romantic leading man, right? And here he is, he's 60 years old and playing ape men, you know, who go around in basements uh, of, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I don't know. It, it was just like... He's 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 trying. I can't really say that he's, like, phoning this one in, but it feels like he doesn't have the same... Passion? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, even in when he's giving it effort, there's nothing... There's no oomph there. There's nothing behind it anymore. The light's kind of gone out. 
I mean, to be fair, maybe it was just a bad week for him. Sure. <laughs> but let's move on to ranking. Okay. So where were you looking for the ape man, Sarah? Well, I don't really have any reason why I chose this particular range. It just felt right. Okay. So I'm looking between 71, which is the Invisible Ray, all the way down to 77, the Black Cat from 1941. All right. Your range and mine have a little bit of overlap. Okay. Uh, I was looking between Werewolf of London at 73 and Night of Terror at 81. Oh, so my range fits right into yours. Yeah, they overlap. Your ceiling's a little bit higher than mine, and oh, my right. floor is a little bit lower than yours. Um, so if we look at that overlap, we get uh, 73 to 77. Yeah. Um, I guess because, like, when you get down to 78, for example, with Black Moon, which is another movie that's just fine, but it's just racist, mm -hmm. this movie was... Fine. But it's um, not racist. <laughs> at least in the same way, I suppose. You know what? Uh, I'm just going to say let's put it below Black Cat and above Black Moon. Because, you know, Black Cat wasn't great. We didn't really like it. But I think it was better made than this. And had some more effective horror elements like the people who were hanged in that movie. And then I look a spot above that and I see the golem which is so low on this list mostly because it's not really a horror movie, but I can't, like, it's a better movie than The Ape Man, you know? Like, it feels yeah. weird to put The Ape Man above it. Sure. But I definitely agree that it's better than Black Moon just on the basis of not being racist. How do you feel about the fact that the Black Cat relied pretty heavily on some com comedy and comedic elements, like that guy going through the house and, like, mm -hmm. appraising things, um, whereas... The ape man, I guess, had some comedic elements more in, like, the sparring between the journalists, but mm -hmm. that's really it. Yeah, and there's the, the shtick of, like, the meta comedy in oh, this yeah. one. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that um, how, I, how do you feel about that? I mean, I think the comedy is the reason why the black cat ranks so low on our list. I think if, it, if the two main characters of the black cat weren't comic relief characters, it would probably rank a lot higher. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that you know, the ape man would still be down here. Yeah, that's fair. Cool, I'm, I'm happy with that. All right, so slotting in at number 78, The Ape Man from 1943, directed by William Bodine. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can also find an appeals box where you can submit appeals or comments, questions, anything of the sort. If you would like to appeal this or any other ranking, submit through Tumblr or contact us directly at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or talk to us on Twitter at underscore screamscene. Screamscene updates every Wednesday on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Support the show by sharing it online, talking to a friend about it, or heading over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast, where you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month, but patrons at the 5 and $10 level get uh, rewards like weekly bonus audio and um, bespoke horror short fiction. When we hit our first Patreon goal of $150 a month, we're going to start doing uh, bonus episodes, uh, one per month, covering horror-adjacent uh, films, stuff like the 1999 version of The Mummy, 
or Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, or The Man Who Laughs, stuff that gets lumped in with horror but isn't really horror. Well, like The Addams Family. Right. That would be neat. So, uh, once again, that's patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast. What are we watching next week, Ben? Well, Sarah, next week we've got quite a milestone in the oh. history of horror film, and in fact in the history of, like, film and, I guess, like, pop culture in general. Whoa. It's the first movie crossover. It's Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. The first film crossover. Mm-hmm. What, what about serials? Had serials done any crossover? Nope. Huh. Well, that's cool. We'll have a lot to talk about then. Absolutely. So join us next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye.